The following podcast is part two of an answer to a question posed by Anele, an entrepreneur based in Johannesburg, South Africa. How do I, as an entrepreneur, lead my business through the uncertainty that surrounds the COVID-19 epidemic? In part one, Alon focuses internally, primarily on the people part of one's business, how we help them feel prepared, calm and confident, how we help them to continue moving and keep the business's wheels turning, and how we as the leader in our business need to raise our gaze in order to find opportunities we can pursue with our teams. Part two is going to help us think differently. During this podcast, we discuss the myth that small businesses are nimble and can pivot with ease, thinking both short-term and long-term at the same time, the epidemic's second wave, and also how to adjust to a new normal. Let's begin and let's start by talking about that important fallacy, the myth that small businesses pivot easily. My name is Gareth Armstrong and you're listening to A Razor's Edge Entrepreneurs Ask Conversation. And so there are going to be lots of corporates in that situation right now that have got lots of resources and will indeed buy time through this crisis. And they will no doubt have to change and there'll be a wake-up call and we will have a new normal in those. Those big corporates that do not have the resources, i.e. the ones that are highly leveraged, the ones that are very, very tightly focused in certain markets or product sets that have got very little flexibility in terms of where they can go, I believe those are going to be the big losers. But conversely, when it comes to small business, there's a different way to think about it. So the way I think about small business is that most small businesses, relatively speaking, don't have resources relative to the big guys. So you might have cash in the bank, you might have millions in the bank, but you don't have billions and you don't certainly have access to billions of dollars of credit lines like the big guys. So we, relatively speaking, we're resourceless, but we are far more nimble. We know that. So the metaphor that we use for small businesses is around the fact that we are nimble and that we can pivot and all these ideas that make us believe that we can move very quickly and act very quickly. My experience is that that's not really as true as we'd like to. I think there's a bit of mythology in that because the, the thing that restricts us moving is actually the entrepreneurs themselves who you can hear the thunder in the background. We're sitting in a storm, which is quite uh, metaphorical in itself. So if you're hearing uh, the storm in the background, it's not moving furniture. It's the, the clouds rumbling up against one another. So the, the issue that we have here is that us as small businesses are very married to our ideas. And we are taught, and correctly so, that we should stick to our knitting, that we should build core competencies. And you've heard me even speak about that. And that's true, 100% true. But we shouldn't be married to our ideas. If we're in a bad marriage i.e. the context has changed, there's the thunder again. If we're, in, the, if we're in, in a bad marriage because of whatever reason, we should think about getting divorced or renewing our vows with our business. And what I'm seeing now is that these businesses are like deers in a headlight, these small businesses. They've got no resources and they are as stuck 
as the big businesses. And, and it fascinates me. And I'm saying, well, how nimble are you? You're supposed to be all nimble, but you, you're doing the same thing as you did before. You're just doing less of it. And what I immediately after this crisis started to become very real, I walked into my sales team and I said to them, right, do you remember Racecorp, the company? Do you remember what we sold? When you go out there, you have to forget what we did and what we do. You have to go and listen for opportunity. Go listen for the opportunity. Bring back that opportunity. Now, if you remember one of our previous podcasts, we spoke about one of the characteristics of, of entrepreneurs was they have the ability to muster resources, put resources together. So I immediately go into that mindset, okay, bring me the, the problems and I will muster resources around those problems. I will put together different resources in terms of different skills, suppliers, capital, whatever is required to solve those problems. And my previous mindset was that I would use 80% of what I have and 20% new. And I just said to myself, in this crisis, if I carry on being married to that, then I'm going to be one of the, like this big tanker. I need to reverse that. I'm happy in this moment to use 20% of what I have. And because we're in a crisis mode, I need to be thinking about 80% being different. Now, whether that is just for now, for the next couple of months, and then we revert back to the 80-20, we'll come back to a podcast and uh, we can answer that question. But if I was married to what we have done as Race Corp and what we have, I don't think it's going to be business as usual. I think it'll be similar. I think it'll come back to a sense of normality. But so many other things will have changed. And so I have to then, at least I'm coming from a state of flex into that new state. This feature is one I'm really excited about. Entrepreneurs Ask allows you direct access to the thinking and experience-backed insights Alon and his team have acquired over a 20-year period of helping entrepreneurs take their small and medium businesses to new heights. Let's now continue with the conversation. Alon has thrown down a gauntlet. Are you thinking and acting in a way that is going to see your limited resources dry up before you are able to pivot? But how do we think differently? Alon offers some insights here. The way that I operate is I try and create a framework to replicate my thinking. And when I'm early on in problem solving, that framework keeps iterating. We've spoken about the importance of iteration before in our previous podcast as well. So even the framework that I'm about to express to you that I've started to formulate and how to think about the future is, let's call it on version 1.1. 1 .1. You know, there, there will be, we'll at least be at 2.9 within the next couple of weeks in terms of thinking. But let's start there. So in your businesses, you need to be thinking about what are the short-term things that I need to be thinking about. And this is not about what you do internally in your business. We've dealt with that. I'm telling what are the short-term opportunities. So what we've seen in the market is that you've seen perfume manufacturers basically making hand sanitizer. So right now they've got the factory, they've got the bottles, they know how to produce stuff, they've got distribution, and they're changing what's inside the bottle because of the immediate short-term opportunistic and possibly even social good that it does. But there's going to be a spike demand. They've got the resources. They're using it. And I take my hat off to them for more reasons than one. 
But the question is that if you're one of these short-term individuals that says, ah, I need to get in the hand sanitizer business, and then you go and buy all this manufacturing equipment, what happens when when the demand decreases? And there is a low barrier to entry in that regard. And so literally my kids are making hand sanitizer at home. They're Googling how to make it. We're getting the raw ingredients, and it's part of what we're doing whilst they're at home. And they're just creating hand sanitizer. So my kids can make it. You can be sure that a million other people will think they can make it as well. And some might have networks and, and distribution and access to that, and they will make money. But I certainly wouldn't think long-term unless I had that infrastructure to go and buy the infrastructure to do that. And then there's the long term. That's the second part of the frame. You should look at the short term, the opportunistic stuff, and then the long term, what are the structural changes that are going to happen? So everyone now is going onto Skype, onto Zoom, onto all sorts of platforms. And so what's going to happen there? So if people used to coalesce in a room for learning or for a party or for a wedding, and now they're now coalescing in a different way, the question you have to ask yourself is, is it going to revert back to what it was completely? Is there going to be a change? What's going to happen to the difference of those people? Is there a big market in the difference of those people? And how do we then service those people? So if people now go, and just let's talk Zoom because I've just heard the, the word a thousand times today, going onto Zoom or Skype as a means of communication, are they going to come off it as soon as the corona is through? Are we going to go back to what it was? Or is Zoom going to now attract a whole brand new market that sees the advantage of it? And so if there's a bigger market coalescing around Zoom, the thinking is what is their behavioral change into the future? What, what is the peripheral stuff around that that creates opportunity? It's not the Zoom. Zoom's already caught that market. You've got to be thinking about what's the peripheral stuff opportunities around that. Do you remember that in the first uh, podcast, we spoke about first order thinking and second order thinking, where we spoke about the security as the first order, but second order, this was after the 9-11 that the security industry would uh, proliferate. But the second order was about that dog breeder that you brought up as well. So that's second order. And then could be third order is dog food, you know, and you have to think through that. That's what you have to look at from a structural long-term point of view. I then asked Alon to take us further down the first, second, and third order thinking rabbit hole. Let's take the Zoom thing. The first order is that a lot of people are going to come onto Zoom or onto similar technologies. Do we want to be an alternative? The second way of thinking of that is that if I was an organization that required people to come for lots of meetings and I needed infrastructure, and people have been talking about this a long time, I can go digital now, I can have my meetings virtually, I don't have to fly, and that's, that's second order, and that means I need smaller premises. But the third order, even beyond that, so let me give you the example of, of this, a real example of this. So we saw that what happened is that music became almost free. So musicians used to get a piece of every record sold. Then when it went on to radio, they got a clip of every time it was played. So that was the thinking then. And then what happened is that all the music was digitized and it became close to zero cost. Okay. So how did these musicians make money? 
But what you saw happening in the industry was that all of a sudden concerts became huge. People wanted the experience. They wanted the live experience. So what the musicians who understood this saw that they're going to see music as basically the lost leader to get popular, to get people to the concerts. And that's where they were going to make the money and sell the T-shirts and the caps and all the peripheral stuff. So those people who adapted then made money that way. But there was in that time everyone saying it's not like it used to be. These guys are giving our music away for free and they're streaming and they're downloading illegally and all that. The ones that saw that this was going to happen were saying, okay, how do I take advantage of that? And society, in a weird way, corrected itself and wanted an experience. So coming back to the Zoom thing, if, if people are going to be behind screens, we're social animals. We're going to crave experiences. We're going to crave live experiences. The third order thinking is if this happens, what are the live experiences that we can create in order to basically balance the world? And I would say in a safe way. I just put it in. I don't know what this means. I haven't had enough time to think about what it is. Otherwise, I'd be going to do it right now. But I'm certainly thinking about that as a third order because that will be the response to the response. And it's not linear. Can you see it's not linear? It's got nothing to do with Zoom. It's got to do with the, the, the behavioral change. Society reforms itself. But where it's going to land, I think that's the ones that can anticipate that. Those are the ones who are going to be the winners. And they can be the big corporates who have got the resources and they can be the authentically nimble entrepreneurs who can start to anticipate and build toward that. I just love how direct this is. If we do not change the way we think now, our businesses will fall by the wayside and eventually into obscurity. We need to consider all we have available to us, all of our resources, as we look with eyes wide open for opportunities. It also isn't good enough to only think about the short term. We need to have the short and long term in our mind at the same time. This is no simple thing. And it doesn't end there. To me, destruction is a very important part of our journey as entrepreneurs. The problem is that when you work so hard for something, it's very hard to go and destroy it. And you know, you either have to destroy it yourself or the market will destroy it for you. And you can either control that destruction or it will be taken out of your hands, but it will happen. It's the natural order of things. For me, a big part of what I'm thinking about now is what is, once again, short-term and what's long-term? What do I start destroying now within the business, both from a process and from an infrastructure, everything? I've looked at the whole business in terms of what needs to be destroyed, what won't be important in the future and have the courage to destroy that and st- or start destroying that. But on the other hand, is to lo- start looking at what will be created because I need this energy. I can take all the energy that I would have focused on a decaying part of the business and I can use that on the green shoots that will come out of this change. So destruction, I look at, first of all, within the business. But also looking outside opportunistically once again is that if there's destruction happening, forced or unforced, there's residual value in that destruction. That's a complex problem to to think through. 
But what then I'm looking for in the market is what is going to be destroyed with the resources I have. What can I take advantage of in that? Do you have a decaying part of your business? What energy are you potentially wasting trying to keep it alive? Are you controlling the destruction that is taking place in your business? Or is the market in control? What residual value is being unlocked all around you as other businesses are coming to an end? And are you fully aware of all the resources you have at your disposal and how to use these to take advantage of coming opportunities? We need to be able to answer these questions. Let's now get very practical. I ask Alon what actions we need to take right now to catch up and to get on the right side of the coming changes. What people have to do is think. When I say think, I mean really take time out to think. And in this chaos, and you know, there's a lot of fear going on in one's mind and a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of demands on us as entrepreneurs and a lot of people calling us to say, what's going to happen is if we know the answers right now. And so you have to have the discipline to step out and think. And, and what I have been doing as soon as I started anticipating where this might be going, and that was a function of reading a lot and trying to, as I said before, decipher what was true and what wasn't, what I resonated with from intellectual point of view and what I didn't, then started to think, okay, if this, then that, if that, then that. And literally, I have to write, I'm very visual, and literally draw if this, then that, if that, then that, or that, or that. Am I right? And then think about whether I'm right. What am I missing? And do that again. And if, if my patterns start coming clear, then I start going there. And then all of a sudden, like I've said in one of my books about the red BMW, as soon as you're aware of where the opportunity might happen, you start to see it. You start to see it all over. And it almost feels like you were too late, but you're not too late. You're just now seeing it more in the market than than you would have prior to thinking that. And then you start investigating that. And then you try and understand and you have to be open to the fact that you're wrong or you are late. So then you go and you keep going down these paths, these thinking paths. And so what I've been doing every night, sometimes until two or three in the morning, is just either lying in the dark and mentally drawing the picture or physically in my office, just drawing the, the this if then, then that, if that, then that, or that, literally coming back to the, the office the next day to try and investigate whether I can make that real or not. How do you hold yourself back or discipline yourself enough to not go everywhere? No, I do, I, I do go everywhere. I have to go everywhere. In EO, I was one of the co-founders of Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. And they have a concept called a forum where you sit, eight or ten of you, in a meeting once a month and you discuss issues. And they talk about the 5%. Is that if you want to get real value, you have to go to the 5%, that bottom of scrape, the bottom of the barrel of how you're thinking and how you're feeling, almost to be that vulnerable. And to me, all the first ideas are going to be quite normal. It is when you keep pushing more and more and more and keep pushing and saying it's it's not enough that you get to the gold. You have to get to that bottom 5% because it's in that bottom 5% that no one else is thinking or very few people are thinking and therein lies opportunity. Your first response is the obvious one. Hand sanitizer is obvious. 
It might be a good idea, like we said before, but it's so obvious that to me I would discard that immediately. It's about going everywhere for a long period of time that gives you a far richer source of ideas to follow. Do you spend enough time thinking? Have you looked at the COVID-19 situation with as much care as you need to? Do you have the discipline to work your way down to those opportunities that can only be seen with a 5% mind? These are questions that lay bare the extent to which we are prepared for what is to come, including a state of new normal. And here is why this is so important. And I think what's happening in South Africa right now is this wave is coming in, the first waves are coming in, where what I'm really worried about is not the first wave, I'm worried about the second wave. And if you look back at the history of 1957 epidemic, more people were killed in the second wave than the first wave of the epidemic because they let their guard down and said, ah, it's over. So they went back to normal, not new normal, too quickly. And so they got taken out by the second wave of this epidemic that came through. So to me, it's about holding these states and knowing when is it okay to let your guard down in this new place that you find yourself in. It's a journey, I think, for all of us to go on. I certainly am not an expert at it, but I think as time goes by and as entrepreneurs, the one thing that we have is we've got lots of crises that happen. And it's very visceral for us because it's life and death for us. You know, if somebody doesn't pay us month end, it could be the end of us. So us entrepreneurs have felt it, feel it, will feel it all the time. So in a weird way, we're more conditioned to be alert to this all the time. We're always sitting with an existential threat. You know, whether it's a staff member leaving or a client leaving or somebody not paying us or somebody stealing our IP or, or whatever the case may be, we live in that kind of mindset all the time where we are hypervigilant just like the deer because if it doesn't, it's going to get taken out by the lion, the lion in this instance being the coronavirus. Or the second wave, which is the other lioness waiting in the background or the hyenas in behind the other bush. We have to know when it's okay to now let our guard down just slightly. So we're not in that hyper-heightened stage, but we just go to our normal heightened stage of vigilance. And my partner mocks me because I'm so hyper-vigilant. I read into everything. And one might call it paranoia. And Andy Grove wrote a great book called Only the Paranoid Survive. And I am healthily paranoid. I anticipate, I keep anticipating. And for me, the moment I, I lose my paranoia, Okay, and I'm using that not in the psychological term, but in, in a survival term. To me, that's the end of me. I then asked Alon if this leaves him exhausted and how he is able to manage it. Here is his response. You know, in, in the world, they talk about asymmetrical response to something. Somebody does something and you respond in a non-equal way, either too much or too little. So when you're hypervigilant, you've got to respond in the appropriate way. You have to respond quickly, but you can't over-respond or under-respond. It has to be to what you're seeing and what you're anticipating. We see with the panic buying of toilet paper, etc., is an asymmetrical response. It's an illogical response, but it's an asymmetrical response to what's going on. It's also about ensuring that your response is 
energy conserving because otherwise you'd like you become neurotic so it's about just also being metered in the way that you respond but you can't just sit there and not respond but you watch you observe do i respond don't i how much do i respond we've covered a lot of ground in this discussion and a lot of hard questions are on the table following the recording of this podcast i've seen how alon is practicing what he is preaching and here is why the one thing for sure for me is that there isn't going to be a normal again it's going to be a new normal you cannot have a shock to a system this large this global and it's coming back to normal people's consciousness will change systems will change organizations that have been around for 100 years will disappear and new ones will grow to take their place it is definitely not a normal it is definitely going to be a new normal and you want to be the people the entrepreneurs who are the winners in that new normal i hope this has been a worthwhile listen if you would like to have alon and other experts share their insights into a question you are tussling with send us a short 10 or so second voice note to entrepreneursask@racecorp.com also go to racecorp.com to sign up for notifications of our next release or alternatively follow racecorp on your favorite social media platform for notifications of more podcasts and resources like this one i'm gareth armstrong and it has been a pleasure